All right, this morning Jim's going to be continuing our study of Acts, and so I'll be reading from Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Syncrahe, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Good enough is notoriously the enemy of great. You've heard this, right? What's the enemy of great? It's not terrible. Now, when things are terrible, we know things need to change. And so just that recognition causes us, forces us, compels us to make a difference. But good enough? Good? We just kind of settle in. And that is true everywhere. Um, th this has been one of the reasons why I I'm not famous for any sport is I have enough um, coordination and enough determination to get good enough at virtually every sport I've played. And then all of a sudden I hit this plateau. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but see, that's what's wrong. Is we, we need to push through that. No, I get it. I totally understand. And I remember times in my life in which I wanted to be great. I wanted to be um, better than I'm competitive enough to work towards that, to strive towards that. But the problem is, is that then all of a sudden you begin to realize, what's it going to take for me to become great at this? I remember taking up golf while I was in college slash seminary, and I really wanted, you know, because I'm going to be a pastor, so I figured I'd have a lot of time on my hands to go golfing. That's actually kind of true, and uh, that's what, what pastors love to do, is they love to golf, and so I just thought, well, I need to learn this, because I, I know the Bible, and I need to learn golf, and so I started taking it really seriously, and a good friend of mine, who's so much better than me, I asked him, Derek, what is it going to take for me, not, not to be as good as you, but you know, just when, when you're shooting, and you're, you know, you're in that, I don't know, let's say uh, high 80s, low 90s and you're on like the eighth hole, and you're just thinking to yourself, I don't, Derek, what's it going to take? And Derek said to me, 
it's going to take a tremendous amount of time and it's going to take a tremendous amount of money. And I, I, I think you could do it. If you keep working like this, you, you could shoot in the 80s someday. And I just remember um, walking on this golf course in Macomb, Illinois, and just going, huh, this is good enough. And I was kind of done. For the most part, I was just kind of done. I didn't want it that badly. And I just figured this works. You know, you know what it's like. You get a job and you're starting out and you're excited and you're organized and you're passionate. And, and the reason why I wasn't so successful in my last job was I, I really, my heart wasn't in it, but, but things are different and things are changing and I really, really, really am ready to kind of move all of this to the next level. And now, um, it's been years since you remember thinking that way. Now, all of a sudden, um, you're just punching the clock. You're just doing time. And the reason why is, is because it's good enough, isn't it? It's good enough. I, was, uh, I performed a, a marriage yesterday. And it's so interesting, the intentionality of a wedding I mean, everybody's dressed up. And I even said to the bride, I said, you know, all the work that you've done, all the labor that was done, and here you are, and, and you're wearing this dress, and your hair looks perfect, and there's all these pictures, and, and, and I don't even, this is not sustainable. And, and by the way, you do know, like, if you start wearing your dress every day, people will think something's wrong with you. Like, maybe that kind of, like, fervor Call it excellence or whatever. Like, like I don't even know if that's, um, not forget about just sustainable, but maybe it's not even healthy. That maybe the, 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 the problem with contentment, and there's a real danger with becoming content. And we know about this, right? That's why we, that's why we love reading about or, or listening to other people and the way they describe their lives. They're just never content. Right? Remember when Tiger Woods became famous and the, the one thing about Tiger was he's just never content. Okay? Have you ever noticed like those people that are just never content? Like, look where it leads them. Like I've, I've seen never content people have a similar problem. So there is a danger in becoming content in our relationships and they just slowly die there is a danger in us being content in the workplace because we never get better. There's a danger for us in contentment. There's a real danger for us, spiritually speaking, when all of a sudden our, our, our arrival at faith and then we were going give it, to give it our all for a little bit and then it seemed unsustainable. Do you remember when you were more fervently devoted to Jesus than you are right now? I would guess that the vast majority of us are not like on this high moment. Our, our, our kids are in Colorado, right? And you know how they're going to come back. They're going to come back with zeal and excitement. I mean, I love it. And even our sponsors come back and there's a, a whole new way of looking at the world. And, and man, God is real. And, and one of the reasons why we've had these conversations in staff, one of the reasons why is that a lot of these kids are in homes where like who Jesus is and what Jesus means maybe like a part of what's being talked about, but not really. 
Like, dad's not really investing in his kids like these kids are going to get over the next week. And instead of it being just this constant temptation, like, you know, when they're, they're going to school and just the difficulty of going to school, no, 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 we're at, we're at camp and we're in family groups and we wake up and we do devotions. And, and that, it's unsustainable, but that can just be really exciting. And these kids come back from camp, right? They come back from Youthquake. And, and we, we know things are going to change. We, we know that, that what they're going through right now is unsustainable. And so we want to say to them, listen, it's good for you to remember back at those times because contentment just means that we, in some sense, and, and right now this morning, obviously spiritually is what we're going to be looking at most, but it has um, very specific effects on the rest of us, uh, on the rest of our lives but when we, when we look at this, when we decide that we are good enough, when we decide that like we're Christian enough, that we're obedient enough, that we know about God enough, then all of a sudden it just begins to kind of let our spiritual guard down. And the truth is I've never learned the, I've never learned the ability, and I don't even know if, it's, if, it's, if you're, anybody's capable of this, of just kind of staying still, spiritually speaking, relationally speaking. It just seems like we're always going somewhere. This, this compulsion to know more and become more obedient or this, ah, I'm fine. Yeah, I can't even really tell much of a difference. I can't really tell. Can you tell a difference? I can't really tell much of a difference. And sometimes it takes like three years to go, what happened to you? You know, I don't know. Things just kind of changed for me. It's usually at that moment where contentment is brought in. But I also don't seem, and, and, and what this text is really describing, if, if, you, if you listen, if you read our text this morning, these verses from uh, verses 18 through 28 in Acts 18, it just, it, it can get almost tiresome. Like everywhere Paul goes and Paul preaches, he shares the gospel. And he's always trying to persuade people to follow Jesus, to commit to Jesus, and you would think that once he'd persuaded them, he'd be done. But no, you persuade them and then life begins, like having a child. You persuade them and then their spiritual journey, in many ways, like starts, you know, like a marriage. Like when it's this out of the gate that we realize that, man, we signed up for a marathon. And not one of those really simple 26-pointers. We're talking about one of those ultra-marathons, right? Like... Even, it's so funny, we would sometimes talk about like our spiritual journey as like a marathon, and how many of you are going, no, 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 I've now been a, G a follower of Jesus long enough, I've run a few marathons. Like I've needed a second breath, I've needed like a second wind 322 times now, spiritually speaking. And so if there is a danger of contentment, and we should be aware of it, there is also the difficulty of more. I want to ask you a question this morning. Like, are you tired, spiritually speaking? Do you even hear a text like now and, and, and maybe even feel bad for the fact that somehow you're not where you used to be and you're kind of settling in for the long haul and the spiritual zeal is not there and... Um, and, and you actually feel bad about that. Like now all of a sudden that has become like one more weight that you did not need on you. Thank you very much. That's what I kind of get from texts like this. 
because the Apostle Paul goes, and, and this, this is amazing, like in these few short verses, sometimes it takes Luke a really long time to get Paul somewhere, but you do realize that like we begin and Paul is in Corinth and then he sails across the Asian Sea and he is all the way in Ephesus and then he kind of travels through and he's down in Jerusalem and then he goes back up to Antioch and then he goes back up to Galatia and then he goes all the way back to Ephesus. In those 10 verses, he literally like recounts probably 75% of the churches that he will help establish. And now all of a sudden, for you fourth grade teachers out there, you do realize that um, August is coming. And the kids are coming back. And this is now, it's hard for you to believe, but now this is now the 10th time you've prepared for a fourth grade class. And uh, you love them still. I know you do. <laughs> and, and your heart is still in it for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, and you're trying to work up the muster, but man, I'll tell you, the summer has just flown by, and I really plan to get more done than I did. Um, but man, alive, this is, uh, I guess they're coming either way, and so I got a lot of work to do and a lot of things to prepare for. And I'm just trying to make sure that I can stay on my A game somewhat. And then those teachers who are now getting ready to like celebrate like their 35th year teaching like the fifth grade are going, 10 years? Are you kidding me? 10 years is nothing. I do 10 years rolling over in the morning. Like 10 years is nothing. And sometimes there can be this real, this difficulty of more. Feeling just the, the persistent weight and I want to give you like a, a, a section of scripture that's kind of, you will use it a little bit as our backdrop. It's actually like the words of Christ. It's not going to appear on the screen, but it's, it's these words of Jesus. And come to me, all of you that are just weary. And, and the, I still probably memorized it in the King James Version, and heavy laden. It's kind of like come thou fount. Half of those words we don't really use anymore, but we kind of know what they mean. Heavy laden, like if you're burdened and you just feel like your spiritual walk or your marriage or uh, raising kids or your job, um, it's just, it's so relentless. It's just, it never stops. It never stops. And it's wearing me thin. I don't know if I can keep doing this. Hmm. Jesus says, come to me. Particularly, he's talking about, for those of you that, that look at religiosity, that look at religious ideas, and it just begins to wear you thin. You're never good enough. You never pray enough. I know I should read more. I know I should pray more. I know I should serve more. But man, and, and what's interesting is, is that you're not giving some kind of a, of a contentment speech. Like you have in you Something that want, Jesus says, like if you are worn thin, come to me and I will give you like real work to do. What does he say? I will give you rest. Probably one of the most convicting things that I've ever heard as a preacher listening to someone else preach and I apologize right now for failing 
many of you in this. It was not my intent. I promise you, it was never my intent. I heard a preacher say, and I'm, I'm just listening to him. And he said, after you're done preaching, the people feel like, wow, that is rest. I'm not talking about like the kind of the convictions that need to come when we're sinning and the convictions are real. I'm not talking about that. Like that's Holy Spirit conviction. I'm not talking about that kind of rest. I'm talking about for those of us that are wanting to love Jesus and wanting to serve Jesus and wanting, we really are. Like when I step into this, when, when one of us step into this as a preacher of the gospel and we present Jesus, there should be a challenge but then it should come as rest, shouldn't it? Like Paul talks that it's difficult, sure, and it's a, it's a burden, sure, but it's also like a peaceful burden. I'm really kind of hitting through that this morning in this text, personally. Not just me walking through my own journey of faith, trying to feel it with you and for you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all of you that are just tired of religious games and um, religious speech that ends with one more, one more thing for you to do, one more thing for you to feel bad about. And some people just go, well, we should just stop preaching those things. No, we can't stop preaching those things because they're in the Bible. <laughs> But the Bible also seems to describe a tremendous amount of peace about these things. I want to look at some verses. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts 18. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 23. Let's feel Paul's burden for more. It says, and after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next. Meaning, he's doing this everywhere he goes. Through the whole region of Galatia, you know those churches, book of Galatians, Justin preached through that. This great book calling people to remember their faith and to remember when they came to faith. And then Phrygia, so these are provinces. This is like visiting all the churches in Missouri and then going visiting all the churches in Illinois. He is visiting these massive areas where there are lots of churches. And what is he doing? Strengthening all the disciples. And, and he's strengthening them, not discouraging them, not walking away with a to-do list. There's nothing wrong with a to-do list. But if that's all your walk with Jesus is, and I think somehow you, we, have missed the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've turned your walk with Jesus, your experience with Creator God, into a list You've missed it. I've missed it. Jump down to verses 24, and 20, 24, 25, and 26. I want us to look at Apollos, and, and we could look at him and say, man, we should be like Apollos. And we'll do that a little bit. Here is a man who's going to be described as somebody who really gets it. And there's more to get. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that's like an, a very, it's an educational center, one of the world's, back in this day, one of the world's largest libraries existed in Alexandria, Egypt. 
There were, there were deep schools of philosophy, much like Athens was a great learning center. A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. Like, this guy gets it, and he gets it right. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. I love this. Though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. See, what I love more than anything else is after I've poured my heart into this and I've studied this and I've prepared to study this, and then on the way out, one of you stopped me and says, hey, Jim, that was a great message, but can I give you something else to think about? Don't you love that? I've actually had to learn to love that. I have. One of the reasons why I'm going back to school right now is because like, I need to learn to love that. Because it's one thing for me to say, oh, I've learned a lot, but there's so much more I can learn. But, but do I act like that? To be honest with you, I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe there's a couple ways that we could look at this. That Maybe you're Apollos. Maybe you think you know Jesus enough. Um, I, I, know, I know Jesus enough. I don't need to take a Bible study class. I know Jesus enough. I, I, know how to, I know how to raise my kids enough. I'm doing a good job, actually. I, I don't need somebody else kind of telling me how to do it. I don't need some preacher telling me. I don't need some youth sponsor telling me. I don't need some... Yeah, we do. We really do. Like the, 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 the list of this for Apollos is amazing. Girls up in Alexandria, he's, he's, he's eloquent. He's arguing from the scriptures. He's teaching accurately. And after he's done, Priscilla and Aquila say, oh, come here, young boy. Her name was Norma. And she was about, she seemed like she was about this tall. She was probably this tall. And she was a sweet lady in uh, the congregation where Andrea and I served in Illinois. And the, the thing that I loved about um, Norma and her husband, Bob, was she just had no problem just kind of speaking straight up to me. I remember preaching a, a sermon on, on, in the beginning of December because I just, I'd looked at Norma and, and she was so involved in Christmas and 12 trees all over the house and decorating and things for the kids. I just kind of thought, okay, Norma, I think this Christmas thing is going to kill you. And so I preached a sermon for her. And it was, uh, the sermon title had something to do with like the dangers of busyness at Christmas. And I'm just going, you know, there's Norma sitting right there and I'm just going after her. You know, the subtitle should have been like hashtag, we didn't have hashtag back then, hashtag Norma Shago sermon. And I'm, I, I, did, I did everything but just stare at her the whole time and preach. And I'm hoping she's listening. And I'll never forget, I'm walking out, and her words to me were, I will when you will. Like, slow down. You're going to preach to me about busyness, Mr. Johnson. Like, yeah, give me a break. And she just kind of walked right by me.
And that's, that's a good reminder. I'd spent all my time wanting to preach to Norma. I, I did. I went back and I've thought about that day many, many, many times. I'm grateful for Priscilla and Aquila's that love young men like me. I'm 51. I'm not even trying to pretend I'm not old, but there's just so much more that I could learn. I want to even encourage you to look around this room or to look at those of us on staff and to, to not shy away from, hey, can I, can I tell you something? Can I, can I share something with you? Can I, can I explain this to you? And I, and I say that so then maybe your, even your own ears would be open. I love this idea. Jesus says that it's good for us to remove the plank from our own eye so we can help our brother with a speck. And a lot of us are just content. This is what bothers me. A lot of us are just content walking around with planks in our eyes, not talking about specks. And no one is getting help. Can you imagine Priscilla and Aquila? Okay, who are we to say anything? Like, he seems to get it. Why are you doing this? Can you imagine that? Priscilla, I feel like I need to talk to him. Aquila, I don't think you should. You always do this, Priscilla. You always feel like you need to help every preacher. Just let him be. No, I think there's more. I think he needs to know the truth. We're going to find out, like next chapter, that there's a whole group of people that are going around and, and they're, they're preaching a lot of what, what Apollos has been saying that's been like inaccurate. And Paul has to correct it. So one of the most humbling ideas is like, do you know specifically those areas in your life that you, don't, that you don't know are accurate about God or about the Christian life? Like, do you know those areas where you're just not right? Do you know where those are? The vast majority of us say what? We don't know. I mean, that's the scary part. The truth is, if you were to ask me, Jim, what areas in theology do you not know? That's the, I don't know the part I don't know. Like if I knew what I didn't know, like that's when I would, I would go and I would try to change it. But I, I, I don't know what I don't know. See, that, that's why it's so important that we stay in Christian community because we don't know what we don't know. I can't even see those areas where I'm ignorant or not as accurate. And, and that is why you, I can always see it coming when people begin to want to live their lives their own way, they just continually separate themselves, don't they? From anyone that's going to be like imposing upon them. I don't need Priscilla and Aquila selling, telling me anything. Who knows, maybe that's why you kind of slip in and slip out of church. Slip in and slip out of the Bible study that you should be in. Slip in and slip out of relationships. I don't want to hear from Priscilla anymore. I don't need Aquila helping me. I got it. I got it. No, I understand that. And in reality, one of the best things that I can learn, still kind of fitting under that difficulty of more, is that's why I need to stay teachable. I promise you I'm preaching to myself this morning. Like I need to stay teachable. I need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is still moving in me, that the Holy Spirit is still working in me, that God's word is still sharp and it still penetrates and it convicts me. 
That's what we need to learn about Apollos. I've, I've talked about this text and, and we need to learn like Apollos and we need to be able to argue like Apollos and, and speak like Apollos. No, actually, I love this. It says at the very end of 26, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What does that say about Apollos? He was eager to learn more. So don't let like the more monster like discourage you. And, and don't let it force you into a corner where now you have to settle and try to plateau. No, remain teachable, remain open. I remember listening to a sermon years ago by a pastor that I didn't always agree with. And he said, listen, in ministry and in life, we're going to have a lot of people that want to offer us advice. Whenever that happens, you first ask, is God possibly speaking to me through this person? And if they are, then you need to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it. I know it's difficult to hear, but, but you need to hear it. And then, like, with God's Spirit in you and surrounded by biblical community, then you can kind of sort through whether or not it's, it's accurate or not. Then you can begin to sort through. I'm not saying you have to buy everything. When I'm preaching, you don't have to buy everything. When you're reading a book, you don't have to buy everything. Unless it's this book. And now all of a sudden, more isn't like a burden. More is kind of like a treasure. Now all of a sudden, more instead of uh, one more present I have to wrap. That's what drives me crazy because, you know, it's like three in the morning on December 25th and I've got, I really got to wrap these presents. Kids are going to be up in 20 minutes. I got to get these presents wrapped. And, and, and so this is me and I, I married this amazing woman who is like a, she, when, we, when she was in high school, she was like a professional gift wrapper for a company. And so I just feel like I can't, although I, this whole new bag thing is awesome, by the way. Can I just say that? Because it's so complicated to wrap socks. I love these bags. Just put them in the bag, some fluffy paper. There you go. I love that. But back when I had to wrap them all, I was just like tired of it. And I was like, seriously, one more present to wrap? But that's not how my kids looked at it. When my kids looked under the tree, and then, you know, you know, remember that feeling like when all of a sudden like the presents were getting near the end and you're like a little sad and they're not even all done, but they're, they're almost done. And you're like, oh, look, there's only like 23 more presents. <laughs> and the wrapping's done. And there's only like five more presents and there's six of us. So that means I might not even get one anymore. And like, isn't it kind of fun when like the treasure never ends? I'd love for you to just think about this. Do you spend most of your time wrapping for others? I don't say serving others. Go with the metaphor, the analogy. Are you, are you spending all of your time with the burden of wrapping for others and then you never really have the joy or the pleasure of unwrapping God's incredible gift to you? Of experiencing God's incredible gift of life in Jesus to you. You're so busy trying to make sure you're experiencing it all right that you don't, you never really have the absolute joy of um, 
of a song to God. Like I even challenge people that sometimes it's good to read the scriptures and, and to not come away with these really, really deep thoughts. Like sometimes I love to just walk away from reading like a big section of scripture and all I really got out of that whole thing was, isn't God good? Not a bad thing, actually. Not a bad thing. I would even encourage you that there might be something broken if you're always trying to get everything out of it instead of just allowing the Word of God or the Spirit of God or even in the context of the people of God for there just to be joy with one another, joy with Him, joy in His Word. Like, I can look at these texts and say, man, like, it just, it's never done. And, and by the way, like, you know what I got to start doing tomorrow morning? Writing another sermon. That's what I do every week. I preach. I'm either preaching a sermon or writing a sermon all the time. And God looked at me and said, okay, is this a joy for you or not? And I've had to learn it's a joy for me. So your marriage. I get it, it's hard. I married great. Just want to ask, is it a burden or a joy? Don't, don't blame them for it, please. Just don't blame them for it. Just take on your own. Raising kids, is it a burden or a joy? Being in a life group, is it a burden or a joy? Yeah, no, 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 I get it, I get it. I'm in that life group. I mean, I know they're putting up with me. Is it a burden or a joy? Reading the Bible. Has it become a burden or a joy? Repenting of sin. Has that become a burden or a joy? Isn't it amazing how it's the same thing? So what's the difference? Everything. Everything is the difference. Therefore, this morning, as I conclude, I want you to just sit here for the last moments and to consider the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and His incredible plan of salvation. Like, I want you to be encouraged this morning. I, I want you to, to, to find joy again in Him and in who He is. For the laws of God, even in the Old Testament, you know, the laws of God, this is what they kept saying, are not a burden to us. And there were some people that felt like it was always a burden, but, but, but the Bible says that it's not, that God's word is not a burden. And therefore, I, I would say to you that um, I want you to just think about this. I want you to think like how much of the, the burden aspect of following Jesus or the burden aspect of his word is, is kind of residing in your perspective as opposed to what God has offered you. You don't even have to turn there. It'll be on the screen, but I go to this book and particularly this chapter a lot. Um, I want to hear from this Apostle Paul who knows the burden. He even says, I've got all these problems and, and I, I carry around with me always the burden of all of God's churches. That's why he travels and he does this. And yet every time he talks, it doesn't seem like a burden to him. 
The only thing I can begin to compare this to is, like when Andrea and I are alone, she can be very honest about the difficulty of being a mom. But like 99% of the time when the kids come in the room, all of a sudden it's like, hey, how are you? So glad you're here. I'm like, what happened to you, babe? Because like five minutes ago, you were being really honest with me about how hard it is. She's like, I, but look at him. He is so sweet. No, he's not, remember? Just a few minutes ago, we were planning to kill him. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, like they literally, they walk in. I can't believe that. Matters. Well, hey, Max, hear me. She's not being duplicitous. She's being a mother. And Paul knows the burden. And then when the Philippians walk in the door, it is so good to see you. I have just been praying for you. I labor so hard for you. You are such a joy to me. But Paul, remember just a few minutes ago, you were talking about how hard they are. Oh, yeah, no, shush, shush, shush. Why are you trying to ruin this? Go back to Canada. You know what I mean? Don't ruin this. Tell me if this isn't joy. Paul writing to the Ephesian church. He spends a lot of time there. Ephesus and Corinth, probably the two churches he spends the most time with. So he knows them well. And, and, and so like a parent, he knows the difficulty. Paul says this beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope which he has called you to. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and against every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Doesn't sound like a burden, does it? It sounds like Paul just got caught up in thinking about God and thinking about Jesus and, oh, there's so much more for us to know. And it became like this unending present that just keeps getting unwrapped, this unending experience that just keeps growing. And, and I don't always mean becomes more exhilarating and more exciting. No, 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 we're maturing. And so I don't need to be on a roller coaster to find joy. I don't need that kind of, oh, that drop to kind of feel alive. No, I know what it's like to love my wife when I'm holding hands and I promise and I vow and I know what it's like to love my wife when, hey babe, like we got to work through some things. Like I know what it's like and isn't he cute and I know what it's like when, oh, and I know what it's like. I know what it's all like. Because this is how good our God is. Just listen to this joy. Verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians 1. This is why it is like this, this relentlessness. But I'm telling you, the ultimate relentlessness is God's pursuit of you. And the ultimate joy is experiencing what God has already done for you 
more than what you're going to do for him. It's more what God has prepared for you and you enjoying him than anything else. And by the way, when I forget that, will you be Priscilla to me? When I walk out, when you walk out of here some days, and, and man, and, and it's, it's a challenge that became a burden. When I walk out, will you just look at me and say, remember Jesus promised us rest, Jim. Like say that to me until I'm tired of you saying it to me and I still have to smile and say, thank you so much. And hear me, it'll drive me crazy, but I promise I'll mean it. That's what mature people do. That's what maturing people do. They value that. They recognize that. Verse 22, this is what God did. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't God good? So this morning as we gather around the table, Let us experience the goodness of God, which is not a burden. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have done for us, for all the goodness that you have provided in Christ. It is an incredible challenge and it is rest. It is never ending and it is always joy. And that is because it is you. And so, Father, I pray that we would experience that and that we would find joy experiencing that. And may that help us in both the mundane and mountaintop experiences. Because what we are to give thanks for is Jesus. And so we thank you for him. And all God's people said,